Today, we welcome one of those outstanding leaders, an amazing asset to our entire industry, our community, really to anyone who's blessed to get to know him. He is one of our industry's best known leaders, serves on numerous healthcare and higher education boards, maintaining board certifications, both through ACHG, one of our friendly other associations, and CHIME. He's a tireless volunteer, both for the industry and locally in his hometown of Kansas City. I'd love to welcome Dick Flanagan, Senior Vice President at Cerner Corporation to our program. Welcome, Dick. Hey, Russ, thanks very much. It's great to be here. Well, it has been an interesting 18 months, Dick, to say the least. And uh, it doesn't matter where you are in the country or the world, uh, interesting probably doesn't cover it well enough. It's been a little bit of a tough time. First and foremost, how are you? How's the family doing? And all of our friends at Cerner. Russ, a, um, you know, it, it's really nice to open with that question because I think we're forgetting sometimes about that everybody's living a, a very different life through COVID. And we think a lot about what persists and what changes. But uh, we've had an interesting uh, COVID experience at the family level. We've had uh, some of our family members get COVID and, and have uh, actually come through that really well. Uh, my mom's uh, in a nursing home in, in Baltimore, and that's been interesting to watch uh, how they've worked to protect her and so far so good. Um, and, you know, it, Cerner's actually navigated COVID, I think, very well from the COVID perspective. But of course, there's lots of other things happening at Cerner. And uh, so we, we think COVID's actually had an impact in a positive way. It's going to change some of the ways we think about going forward. Um, and I, I like to say something about COVID, which I call blessings of COVID. I think there's been so many challenges from COVID, work, life, you know, the business impacts and everything. Of course, our healthcare, you know, colleagues and the challenges they've faced, but there have been some blessings. There've been some things, some time I've been able to spend with family, some slowing down from time to time. Um, and I don't know that I would have gotten those opportunities without, uh, unfortunately, COVID as a pandemic, but I have a long list of what I call blessings of COVID and that keeps me kind of grounded and has allowed me to see some positives out of a, a challenging situation with the pandemic. What a great way to, to look at this is, you know, we have to be respectful of the pain that's been out in the industry, but also we always should be counting our blessings. And I know you've been a, a leader at Cerner for a long time. Uh, I don't want to date both of us, but uh, we've known each other from a Cerner perspective for about as almost as long as you've been there. And uh and you've been there 20 plus years, plus other roles at companies like IBM, uh, leading and managing huge complex projects and teams. You know, one of the things we love doing on this program is hearing about leadership professional journeys. How did you get to where you are in such a uh, prestigious position? What was your journey? Russ, uh, you know, there's choices we all make at points in our career. Sometimes you think, wow, I kind of nailed that. I'm really smart. I figured this out. I had a plan. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, chance uh, opportunity meets, you know, preparation and all those kinds of things or preparation meets opportunity and the harder you work or the luckier you get. I think it's a great combination of some choices I made and some just really great things that were happening in our industry. But I, I got into healthcare. I started with IBM in 1981. And as a shout out to the great company that IBM has been, and I still think it's a, certainly a very good company today but you couldn't pick a better company to build a professional uh, set of skills and management capabilities than the IBM company. It was just 
I'm so thankful for the opportunities that were afforded to me, particularly as I became a leader and a manager there. But my wife and I had triplets in uh, January of 1989. And I didn't realize it like that month. But as I started to reflect on this incredible experience of growing our family, and uh, we had already had a two-year-old, so things were pretty busy at the Flanagan household. But I had this I started to encounter healthcare very differently than you know most people do in their 20s. And I made this decision, like, I kind of want to do healthcare IT. It was, it was a really cool experience to be around healthcare people for that, particularly that 18-month kind of intensive period of the pregnancy and that first year of the trips. And I also realized these guys don't use IT very much. And because I'd worked in IDM and other industries and finance and insurance uh, and worked in distribution and manufacturing in the first half of the 80s, I thought, wow, this is an industry that like does good things for people that, you know, helps us all to live better lives. And you know what? It doesn't use IT very much. This is going to be great. This is going to be an incredible decade. And so I engineered a shift on the IBM side to healthcare. Uh, which was, you know, not the popular place to be because it wasn't, frankly, an industry that was heavily invested in IT. But long story short, with my great industry colleague, Trace Devaney, who, who, had, who had jump shipped and gone to Cerner from IBM, uh, Trace invited me into uh, <laughs> to applying for uh, Cerner and coming, moving to Kansas City, which you can imagine as an East Coaster, I was in Baltimore. I was like, what? I'm not going to Kansas City. But Long story short, I joined the company in 94 and frankly, never looked back. Um, it was really the opportunity to combine my love of, frankly, how information technology could transform industries and to do that in, in health IT at, uh, at Cerner. Cerner was 100% focused on it. IBM was kind of in and out. And I'd say that was probably the biggest driver. And then along the way, you know, Cerner was a $100 million company when I joined and had about 1,000 people. And, you know, it's, it's a gift. It's been, I, I use the word blessing again, to be able to grow with a company, to have fits and starts. My, my, my you know, longevity and growth at Cerner is definitely not like the rocket ship taking off. I mean, there have been, there have been some pauses and some plateauing and frankly, hanging around and and doing different things, but um, I'm committed to our industry. I've been committed to our company and uh, it's been a great run. So uh, that's probably enough on that front. You know, it's funny. I heard a quote a while back that said, you know, sometimes it takes an entire lifetime to be an overnight success. So yeah. uh, you, you are definitely a success. Hey, on that note, when, when we start talking about things like epiphic moments and reflective and thinking back, you know, what, what are some of those things that you when you think back, go, God, I wish I would have known, or, you know, I didn't have the right context for that, maybe as I should early in those years, now given, you know, some wisdom, a few gray hairs and other thoughts along the way. Yeah, it's, it's a great uh, question and observation about what you learn. And I, I, I tell you, I, I have been wrong for three decades about what it was going to take to transform this industry around how the industry used information and information technology. So, the one thing I underestimated is just how complex and complicated our industry is. The industry of healing people when they're sick, caring for them on their journey and keeping them healthy. This, this complexity of technology meeting the human condition 
both uh, the physical side of our you know, presentation of illness and the mental and behavioral health side. Um, I, I just, and I think many people have, but I would say personally, I underestimated the complexity of what it would take to change how this industry used information. Um, and at the same time, I, it's made me more committed to finishing um, at my stage and career. It's like, golly day, I've worked for 30 of my 40 years of work life to see this kind of come to fruition. And if anybody's seen me present recently, I'm like, this is the decade. <laughs> I mean, this is what we've been waiting for. So Russ, I would say the big thing that I underestimated was just the complexity that our clients uh, and our partners and our colleagues uh, have dealt with over the years. And you know, just how much learning there still is to do about what it takes to change this industry and how it uses information. That's probably my biggest, you know, learning. Um, I wouldn't call it patience, but I'd call it an understanding of, of the challenges that our clients have faced. Well, maybe Peter Drucker was right when he said a hospital or a health system is the most complex organization that could ever be created by a human. So uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe it is absolutely true. Well, on that note, and, and you know, you, I, I've known you for quite a few years, as I said, the people that you're around, um, and that's not true of everybody in every company, but you in particular, the people that are around you really seem to be part of an amazing culture and teamwork and collaboration and positiveness. You know, let's just be blunt. What's your secret? What do you just hire? Well, um, what, what, what makes the people around you so fun to work with? Well, Russ, first of all, thanks for the observation. I do. Uh, I think we're all fortunate in our industry, in the industry of healthcare, and then I'll break it down on the IT side. I think we're fortunate. We're an industry that where people want to help other people. You know, you, you know that challenge that Drucker would talk about, or that you and I would observe. You would not put up with this crap. You would not put up with this complexity and these challenges if you didn't have at your core a service mentality, a, a, you know, a serving heart, if you will. And I mean, I've said for years, if you don't get bitten by the healthcare bug, really leave. This is not a great company for you. It's certainly not a great industry for you to serve. And I worry a little bit that I think a lot of people at the pure technical side of our industry, it's pure technical operations or frankly, software development. Sometimes they could view the work they do that's what I'll call the job order. Like, oh, you need me to do this, do that. And I'm like, no, no, you need to understand this is actually part of something bigger. This is part of a workflow. This is part of changing the way we, we diagnose or the way we treat. And if you can't see that, you're, that your piece of the pie is contributing to something larger, um, you probably won't work as hard as we need you to work from time to time, and you probably won't be as committed. And so the leader's job whether it's finding and attracting people to come into your company, is finding people that may not share that day one, right? Not everybody has a passion for healthcare. It just might be a great place to work, great place to improve your skills, get paid well, those kinds of things. But what I think leaders have to do is to find people that are open to, to receiving that gift, that passion, that willingness to commit yourself to something larger than yourself, frankly, is to look beyond. So. I mean, I think what we've been fortunate at Cerner, and it really goes back to our founding with, with Neil Patterson and Cliff Illig and Paul Gorup, 
you know, over 40 years ago is this sense that, hey, guys, we're not just doing IT. <laughs> we're doing healthcare IT. And there are a lot of stories around getting people committed to that. And, I, and, I, and in some ways, I think we lost that a little bit. And I'm really delighted that we're getting back to that. I love the fact that we've just hired a CEO who's a physician. Uh, and, I, and I think Dr. David Feinberg will help. If, if there was any drop in that at Cerner, and I, I personally would say, I think there's some areas we could be doing better in that space. I think David will reignite uh, any of the folks that may have lost their way a little bit on, on the core, which is helping our clients with our clients to fundamentally change healthcare around how it uses information and technology. And if we do that well, everybody benefits, the patients benefits, the families benefit, um, you know, it's, it's a good outcome for all. So that, that's how I see it. And I, how I see the role of leader in picking and finding great people. Well, let's talk about, you mentioned this earlier, let's talk a little bit about kind of where we are in the state of uh, the, uh, the lifespan, the, the timeline of healthcare. And you, you mentioned that we really are in, and, and I agree with you, I, I use big terms like we're at the, the precipice of a revolution in healthcare, that the 30 years of building and enabling in the last economic revolution really enable us to jump to the next uh, economic revolution, and that includes healthcare. I, I truly believe this to my core, the next, and I don't even sure it's 10 years, I think three to five years, we might just see radical changes. It still doesn't mean that we don't see patients taking, getting taken care of by another human being, it just means healthcare itself is going to radically transform. You know, I think we both kind of see mind, uh, our minds are the same on this. How do you think this changes the work of a traditional EMR company, which is what you, what Cerner is, as it's, it, it has been changing population, health, value, some of the other things. How do you think it, it changes the work that you all do? Russ, I think it's a great observation. I do think we're aligned on uh, how much we are right at the precipice of fundamental change. I'm, because I've been burned on this, uh, you know, I've kind of predicted this the last three decades. I, I'm going to stick with the decade versus three, five years, <laughs> um, just because I, you know, I've seen the seeds of that change, those fundamentals. But this is where that wisdom of it's harder for a reason. And so how do I think our work changes? I mean, first off, you know, there were some in our own company in the industry that said, you know, we're at the end of the EMR era and or the EHR era. And, and I, I have kind of never um, subscribed to that simplistic view of the market. What I say uh, in talking to our clients and potential clients is the era of an EMR centric world being how we create value as companies, that is ending. Uh, but EHRs continue to be the essential infrastructure to power the transformation. And the reason they are is at the end of the day, you're still having to get the right information to the right people at the right time and place in a workflow that works for consumers, for caregivers of all types and shapes and sizes, and you know, the providers, the, the licensed providers, physicians and NPs and PAs and others, and the decision makers for, for healthcare day to day. And essential infrastructure has to be in place. So while EHRs as the dominant approach to delivering that value, I think changes markedly in the decade. And I think we're, we're right seeing that today. And I think 
um, there are two major reasons. One is the incentive programs that were put in place with the American Recovery Reinvestment Act, which we now see as the High Tech Act, that put 30 plus billion into our industry, primarily the physician-based organizations and hospitals, really did power the digitization. And I think we all got to acknowledge, I know some people rag on whether government programs work or not, but let's just face it, that investment worked. It didn't just help companies like Cerner and Epic and Meditech and Allscripts and many in between. It also helped our clients. So it powered the digitization of an industry. But as we've always talked about, uh, and it's something I give Neil Patterson a lot of credit, Neil was always like, the goal is not just to automate the process, it's to have a digital process that we now can begin getting the second order effects. And they're wonderful to study because the industries that went through that digitization all saw second and third order effects of their industry. And we can see it in retail, transportation, banking, music, entertainment. I mean, all of these industries, once they got digitized, made the shift. That's why this is the decade. Now, um, for our company, for what Cerner has to do is to you know, maintain its commitment to excellence at the core EMR and the folks that are counting on us and to maintain you know, the strength of our client base, but at the same time recognize that these EHR assets really become a platform, a platform through interoperability, through fire, through you know, the, the US CDI and the aversion. So we are seeing that impact that once digitized both the regulatory framework and frankly, the operating framework and the investment framework has changed. So now we're not talking about automating just a process. We're saying when data moves, it needs to move in context. When data moves, we need to know exactly what's in that little bundle or that packet. And so why I'm so optimistic for this decade, and I think Cerner has an incredible opportunity, is to make that shift from just automating process, just moving data, which is hard and still a lot of work to do, but to now bringing in the entire partner ecosystem of other companies that are innovating at rates, frankly, far faster in some areas that we are. We're not trying to be everything to everyone, but we are trying to create that platform, that ecosystem where innovation can prosper, both at the core work we do as well at the edges. And I think <clears throat> the investment thesis that you see from private equity, from, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes, you know, companies like Cerner that are public get criticized for being, you know, investor oriented or whatever. And yet every large health system that I know of in the United States has an investment arm and increasingly a venture capital type arm. And they're tapping into the same concept of investing for innovation. So I think that's how things will change here over the decade. I think we're right at the point where this digitized industry um, is going to start paying big dividends back uh, to the rest of the world and rest of economy. So that's the work we're doing. And it's really to capitalize on the things that you talked about in your, your opening question. You know, it, it, it's interesting. It's not just what you do, though. It's sometimes how you're doing it or what the intended purpose is. And I know there's a, a specific area 
and I say specific, but an area that, that I know Cerner focuses on, you focus on it, and that is just understanding the uh, obligations, responsibility, the accountability associated around diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, and what that means on a day-to-day. -day. You know, first of all, you know, what's your kind of approach in this area? You, you know, you said it, you're a technology healthcare company. You know, what's your responsibility here? What is it? And why do you feel so strongly about this? Yeah, Russ, you know, there's a couple different ways to go on this. And you and I have had some great conversations on uh, an obligation to build technology that supports uh, inclusion, supports uh, providing services to, you know, everyone in our communities, the marginalized, as well as the the folks um, like you, me, and many of the folks listening to this that have been very blessed and very fortunate. So I, I think for us, one of, the, one of the things we've seen is um, what role do we play as a company that works in healthcare, it's a major employer in our communities that we serve, what, what it, what's the obligation that comes with that? Now, on the technology side, interestingly, we have a lot of work in our machine learning and artificial intelligence uh, and others to make sure, and we're participating in both local and national initiatives with all the major industry players to say, let's not make this worse. Let's make sure that the data that we use to do our analytics is sufficiently diverse. Let's make sure that we test the technology that we build and the, the algorithms and the recommendations to make sure that they don't have unconscious bias, that they don't have unintended consequences. So there's a pure technology side to this discussion, which is first, do no harm. And secondly, to thoughtfully go back, look at the work you've done already, and to make sure that it hasn't impugned or impinged on, on um, uh, a point of equity or a point of access uh, or a point of inclusion. So I think that's been a big part is to turn the attention of the company to make sure that the work we've done and the work we're doing and will do in the future kind of meets these, these criteria. And that's kind of one big section. And that's, you know, we should do that as a, 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 a strong technology company with offerings in healthcare. But there's a whole other side to this, and that is, okay, that's some downstream effect of the technology we build, but we make decisions every day on whom we hire, where we hire, the kinds of people, the kinds of investments, the suppliers we use. And I'll give you an example. When we started the federal business, let's say five, six years ago, with the, the winning the DOD contract, and since then with Coast Guard and VA, one of the things the federal government, again, I think a positive that's done was to say, you know, Cerner, you know, as a Midwestern company, um, you need to think about diversifying your workforce more quickly. And I give, give Travis Dalton and others a lot of credit and the HR team for really changing the way we thought about recruiting. And to begin, you know, fishing in different ponds, looking in different communities, and frankly, acknowledging that you need some outside help sometimes, that you need different types of firms and different types of consultants, and frankly, some new executives to hire that whose job it is, is to one, keep us on track with our principles, to keep us on track with the things that we've said are important to us around diversity, equity, and inclusion, but to make that real, not to make it website economics. Oh yeah, this is what we you know, want to do, but to translate that every single day 
in the choices we make when we grow our company and when we serve our clients. So I think, you know, there's an obligation. We have obligations to shareholders, to our clients, to our associates, and to our community. And I think the work we've done around this area, and I think it's highly demonstrable in the federal business, and I think other businesses as well, really speaks to put your money where your mouth is, stop talking, and start doing. And we still have a lot of work to do. I, there is no mission accomplished sign outside of Cerner. We have a lot of work to still to do, but we're committed to being a good actor on that stage and uh, you know, transforming the way we live and work. Uh, that's in, you know in in alignment with the interests of our community as well. So so on that front, and, and I know this is another area of passion. You, I, I I know what you're on several higher education boards and and lots of different areas that you support. One of those areas that seems to be of of kindred spirit or, or really uh, of locked in minds, and that is that we are learning beings. We have to continuously build ourselves up professionally. What we know today will not get us to tomorrow, but you seem to be really focused on this from a professional development perspective and wanting really, again, not even from the previous question, everyone to have the opportunity to advance. Why is this an area of such significant passion for you? Yeah, I really believe that we're always growing as associates, as leaders, as members of our community. And so we, we can grow in, in a lot of different ways. And what I've said to my associates, I have something that I'm pretty well known for around Cerner, which is be a student of dot, dot, dot. And what I say is, if you want to continue to grow, and if you're curious, you need to be a student of healthcare, number one. Two, you need to be a student of information technology because that's how we as a company deliver value to this industry that we love and want to serve healthcare. Three, you need to be a student of your client because we serve clients um, and you need to be a student of Cerner. You need to be a student of how we operate as a company, what our challenges are. And then finally, you need to be a student of leadership and management, particularly if you aspire to lead others and, <clears throat> and to grow teams. So I've always had this kind of core principle around um, what I would say is be a student of. So it's this, it's this lifelong learning. Now, in, when I was at, in Baltimore at IBM, I served on a lot of these advisory boards for the local colleges and whether it was Mount St. Mary's or Johns Hopkins really tried to stay very focused on being one of those business uh, leaders that was advising curriculum and would speak to students pretty regularly, all those things. But I had this moment in, in 2006 uh, there's a small college in Kansas City, Kansas called Donnelly College, which serves the inner city and primarily serves people of color uh, and people of color with very limited means, you know, under $25,000 of family income. And I, I, the president of the college at the time, and I said, you know, Ken, I'm not sure I've got time to do this. I travel, you know, frequently. I'm a healthcare guy. Da, da, da. And he goes, Dick, look, here's the deal. You go to high school, you get a job. You go to college, you get a career. Careers is what transforms family. It stops generational poverty. It creates expectations in families and children about how to become lifelong learners. So I said, Dick, you know, if you want to make an impact, work in first-generation college. 
work in places where you can impact the next generation. And I have been rewarded for that leadership position I've had on the board and being a board chair and all that stuff for a while. I'm, I would say that um, I have a passion about healthcare IT and that's been being able to be expressed through IBM and primarily Cerner, but I have this other passion about education, that it's education that changes lives. And if we can help families and individuals get break that cycle, in many cases, a cycle of poverty, that we have a chance to truly transform society. And I stopped worrying about it happening, you know, at the, at the 100,000 foot level, 30,000, it's at the person level. So we got to do it one person, one student, one family at a time. And if that means we only touch, you know, several hundred, several thousand families in the tenure, that's okay, because it mattered for them. Part, part of this is, it, it, it's not just the formal education part. You have a, a, at least a commitment to, to professional accreditation as well. You're one of the few people that have accreditation through Chime, through ACHE. It is, is something you hang on your signature block and your business card, if we even use business cards much anymore, yeah. um, you know, that you're proud of those credentials you earn. But it's why is this so important to have that kind of commitment to our industry? Well, I mean, because it's not enough to say you're a leader. It's you got to prove it. You got to say that my education matters. I mean, the testing to get, you know, CFCHE and ACHE is hard. You got to study. There's work. And I, you know, I think I encourage all of my associates. And I think, you know, we, we have a lot of people that have come into our industry that have clinical credentials and informatics credentials. And many people come in with, you know, PMPs and, and consulting and all these other. And, and I'm like, that's great. Pick your path. But it's important to tell the rest of the world that being a professional and not just a participant is part of what it means to serve this industry. So that's been a big part for me. And I've appreciated both ACHE and Chime's move towards professional credentials. I think what Chime has done in professionalizing the role of the healthcare CIO and now looking beyond in terms of the up and comers and the CMIOs and some of the additional work Chime's done, this is what it means to be a professional organization. And there is some scorekeeping and the scorekeeping is the credential. And so that's what I think has been so important about it. It's important to me. It's a statement that I make to the leadership that I work with that I take this seriously. This is my profession and I appreciate being welcomed into it by, by my colleagues. So with the, the little bit of time, I've got kind of two last crystal ball type questions, your epiphany of, of wisdom here, as we, as you may say, and, and that is, as we look at our ecosystem, and, and you said 10 years, I'm going to pull you back a little, little sooner than that. And that is, as I mentioned, maybe that next three to five years, maybe as early as two years. What do you see as, as some major change, some things that you are really almost ready to embrace and, and lead in over these next few years? Yeah, Russ, a lot, lot to cover there. In the interest of time, there are two things that I think are right in front of us. One is we now have data flowing. This concept of interoperability um, is real. And it's not just whether you're in one vendor ecosystem or one you know, geographic ecosystem for, for transmitting information. Um, so the data is moving. Increasingly, it's moving 
in defined buckets, whether we call that fire or other API driven uh, interfaces. Uh, but I think the horizon is, it, I call it dog catches car. I mean, okay, this is what we said we've worked on for 40 years. Now we've got all this data. What are you going to do with it? Whose mm -hmm. is it? So we've got the privacy concerns and others. So I, I'm a huge fan that we have hit the inflection point of data movement. Now it's how does one get the right information, deduplicate it, get it mapped to the decisions that are to be made for caregivers and individuals. So that's my first big piece is I think we've, we've got data flowing. Now it's going to be how we get it into the context of care. And the second big thing that you talked, and you mentioned it earlier with the digitization around consumer and digital systems. I think consumers, while we still see relatively low engagement numbers, you know, day to day, but consumers are more engaging with their health, particularly as they face a chronic health condition or, uh, you know, a traumatic injury or some others. And so I think we are entering, this is also the decade where I'm not yet saying the first half of the decade consumer rules, but I think all the seeds of this being translated into much more truly consumer centric industry, uh, along with that data flowing and consumers having control of the data, that's really the big drivers of the change in the healthcare ecosystem. Data movement in context, fire standards, interop, and the fact that consumers will, will want to control that. I think those are the two big things that drive the change. So, so in light of that, with our last question today, once again, maybe even gleaming a little deeper into that crystal ball there, and that is what should we as an industry, maybe even Chime, what should we be focused on? Where should our effort be over the next 12, 18 months? That is not a long time. How should we tactically focus to make sure we head towards those targets? You know, Russ, one of the things that I, I think Chime has done is the emerging leader model, whether it's boot camp and the work that, um, you know, John Glasser and many others worked on years ago. I have to tell you that I think what Chime can do best is to help our leaders, many of which have grown up in the hospital-based business and are great leaders, is to understand those fundamental changes when the hot when when healthcare shifts beyond a campus-centric model for care, and embracing our CIO colleagues that have been running things that haven't always you know carried the cachet, whether it's home health, long-term care, subacute, post-acute rehab, you know all of those other areas. I think there is. I think, you know, understanding there is a whole new set of emerging senior leadership roles in these organizations, including in our payer uh, organization. So I think what Chime's done well is to understand that the cheese moves from time to time and your work and the board's work in embracing the emerging roles and the CMIO and some of the other, uh, the A groups, some of the work that they do to be able to help prepare, whether it's the technology officer, security, applications. So I, I think what Chime can do really well in the next 12 to 18 months is kind of harden some of those relationships and being clear that the cheese has moved, that there are many new actors on the stage. There are many new venues. There's many new approaches to value and seeking and finding people who lead those and embracing them as future leaders of, of health IT. So that would be my direction. 
Well, Dick, unfortunately, our time is up. Always a pleasure to spend time with you. Most importantly, thank you for everything you do for our industry, everything you do at, at your organization, Cerner, to make a difference for, for really for everyone in our nation and now around the world. So again, great appreciation for everything you do and more importantly, the way you do it. Russ, um, what a pleasure to spend the time. It's just flown by and thanks for your leadership uh, at Chime. It's uh, It's been a great gift for all of us in the industry. So thank you. Hey, and we'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for being part of this program. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Leader to Leader podcast. You can visit our website at Spotify or at chimecentral.org forward slash media to listen to this and all of our podcasts from great technology leaders. Please continue to be safe during these challenging times. If you haven't, please consider getting vaccinated. It's not just for you, but for the people around you that you truly care about. Take care and God bless.